gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe, here in this great hall of justice, are the most powerful forces of good ever assembled. Superman! Batman and Robin! with their space monkey, Bleak. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 106 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, I'm going to be completing my run through the all-new Super Friends Hour. That's right, another eight episodes in the books, and another season of Super Friends is now going to be in the books. The feature episodes I'm going to be covering are Will the World Collide and The Ghost, uh, for all intents and purposes, the finale of the all-new Super Friends Hour. So that's pretty exciting. There are ten or so years of Super Friends all in all, and I've already gotten through two of them, the 1973 and the 1977 seasons. Well, I haven't gotten through the, the second yet. I'll have gotten through it after I finish this episode. But, you know, putting this behind me will put more exciting things into focus, as I will be soon beginning of the challenge of the Super Friends, which is coupled with, I believe they call it New Super Friends. That's going to be an exciting change for next episode. And, you know, as I march through the challenge of the Super Friends season, we get closer and closer to October, which is going to be Superman the Movie Month. And, you know what, just from where I'm sitting right now, that's shaping up to be something special. That's going to be the... uh, I hope, at the very least, I hope that's going to be the high point of uh, the podcast so far. The first high point of the podcast was definitely covering The Adventures of Superman, the George Reeves show. But, you know, Superman the movie is another important milestone, and it's a huge milestone. And I'm really looking forward to getting those out to you in October. As of now, I'm recording this on June 30th. I have recorded the first episode, episode 115, so, you know, just... Knowing that's on the horizon is getting me all jazzed up for uh, not only the the next season seeing some actual DC Comics supervillains, but you know, but knowing that big milestone is right around the corner, and you know better shows that I have a little more affection for coming through in the eighties and nineties, it's giving me a whole new life getting through this thing. But let's uh, get through this thing, shall we? <laughs> uh, first, I'm going to address some feedback. Uh, this feedback is from Dave McElvenny. Dave was writing in on Man of Screen episode ninety six. And Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Neither of the Super Friends episodes here are real standouts, I think. But there are a couple of points to be made about them. In the mysterious mold, the problem of getting electricity to the air conditioning unit so far underground was addressed, but there doesn't seem to be any concern about how to vent them. Running air conditioners in confined spaces like caves or caverns won't really cool them off. It will actually make them hotter, as the heated exhaust builds up. It would have been fun, although probably too much to expect, to see some reference to the mole men from deep underground who... Superman had encountered in the George Reeves' version of his adventures. In Gulliver's gigantic goof, although Dr. Gulliver's idea to shrink people makes some sense as a solution to overpopulation, he clearly didn't think his idea all the way through. Besides being endangered by unshrunken animals, the shrunken people would have had a difficult time with farming, unless the crops and orchards and livestock were shrunk too, and then the advantage of a shrunken population would be lost if the resources had to be shrunk too. This sort of problem would really need super brain power to solve. 
It was fun to see Green Arrow in this episode, and I think this may have been the first animated version of him in his then-relatively-new costume and Van Dyke beard. Live long and prosper, Dave. So, as always, thank you, Dave, for writing in. I really don't have anything to add on Dave's uh, comments regarding the mysterious moles, but yeah, you know, he is right about air conditioners. They need places to vent. You know, that's why, uh, you know, you hang your air conditioner out the window so it can vent outside to the rest of the heat while it cools off your living room or bedroom or whatever room you have uh, an air conditioner in. I, right now, don't have an air conditioner in any room, and it's one of the hottest days of the year, so who's the crazy one? (laughs) And uh, Dave also mentions uh, Gulliver's Gigantic Goof. Last week when I was talking about the uh, Shrieking episode where the Super Friends shrink themselves down uh, to save uh, Mary Nelson and Dr. Wong, I referred back to this episode but didn't quite remember the the mad scientist's name, if you recall. But there it is. I should have checked Dave's uh, feedback. Uh, The feedback with him by the time that episode was recorded. And I would have known that it was indeed Dr. Gulliver. And, uh, you know, Dave is uh, right. Humans would be endangered by unshrunken animals, as we saw in last week's episode, where Superman had to battle a giant trapdoor spider. Or at least giant to them, not necessarily giant to the rest of the world. The rest of the world. The ecosystem would have to be shrunk as well. And then, if you have to shrink everything in order to accommodate the tiny people, well, it doesn't really matter much that you shrunk your you shrunk the people to preserve resources because the preserved resources won't go as far as you need them to. So thank you, Dave, for so thank you, Dave, for writing that in. I am going to now take a quick break, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with "Will the Worlds Collide" and the episode that's around it. Hang around, folks. Stay. What? Have you ever read uh, a Superman comic? Not in the last few hours. Oh, I was just checking, right? Just checking. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and I have been a fan of Superman for as long as I can remember. In 1987, I started collecting the Superman comics as a going concern, which led me down a long and winding comic book-filled path to 2007 when I first started podcasting. Well, it's 2017, and because it's been 10 years since I started podcasting, and 30 years since I started reading Superman full-time, I thought it might be fun to start a new show called It All Comes Back Back to Superman. Superman. It All Comes Back to Superman will be my monthly reaffirmation of my Kryptonian faith, where I will pick out something about the Man of Steel and discuss it. Sometimes I'll be alone. Sometimes I'll have a guest. No matter how many people get involved, Superman will be the focus. It All Comes Back to Superman is part of the Fortress of Bailey Tube Podcasting Network. New episodes will drop on the 28th of every month. This show and all of the other programs that are part of the Fortress of Baileytude podcasting network can be found at www.fortressofbaileytude.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment had an original broadcast date of December 3rd, 1977, and we're going to start with Will the World Collide? And our synopsis is brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. A rogue professor expelled from scientific community works with an evil alien from a dying planet. Are you there, Cleasor? This is Professor Fero on Earth. It is about time, Hero. 
Have you completed the gyro magneto according to the plans I teleported to Earth? Completed, mighty Kleezor. My congratulations. Nobody here could have invented such an awesome device. Far easier for us than finding the one man on Earth who would betray his home planet. The Earth is no longer my home. Not since I was thrown out of the scientific community. Now, with your help, I will have my revenge on those fools. Start phase one of my master plan, Piro. Activate the gravitational gyromagnetos. The alien has teleported information to construct a device that will draw the planet toward Earth to take Earth's place in the solar system. Because the planet being attracted to Earth is covered in kryptonite, Superman cannot help. The Super Friends find notes in the Professor's abandoned lab, which, despite an attempt to steal them back using an energy creature, lead the heroes to his new hidden lab. Although weakened, Superman's X-ray vision detects the device's power source, allowing Wonder Woman to remove it and throw it into space moments before the planets collide. When the Professor tries to escape in a rocket, Wonder Woman's strength holds the rocket while Batman and Robin grab him. The kryptonite planet gone, my strength has returned! Yeah, if it wasn't for you, I could have been the top scientist in the universe! You'd never succeed. As soon as you took control, there'd be some other criminal to take it away from you. You have a brilliant mind, Professor Firo. Someday you'll realize that only by working with others in peace can a person attain his goal and enjoy it. Later, at the Hall of Justice... If everyone as smart as Firo used their ability for the good of all, this would be a far better world. That's true, Jaina. And we could all be super friends. <laughs> I forgot. Gleek hasn't been fed all day. How about a banana? It's a little green. <laughs> oh, I forgot. Gleek reacts to green bananas like Superman reacts to green kryptonite. So you'll see there's not necessarily a ton for Superman to do in this particular episode as he's rendered pretty impotent by kryptonite for most of it. Even though he does make a valiant effort to stop the uh, rogue planet from uh, crashing into Earth. The episode proper will start with an island with a radio tower on it, and this is Professor Pirro. He is, he calls himself the most dangerous man on Earth, or at least the narration does. To me, he looks more like Doc Brown from Back to the Future than anything else, but again, that's a dated reference because Doc Brown would not be invented for another eight years at this point. Back to the Future came out in 1985. This was 1977. So, pre-Back to the Future. So, he is contacting this green-skinned alien on a different planet, and apparently he has denounced Earth because he has been drummed out of the scientific community. So, obviously, that's a great reason to destroy the Earth. You know, you destroyed the whole entire planet and entire species of people just because you've been drummed out of the scientific community. Professor Pirro is not bitter at all. So, he fires some electricity at an asteroid, and now it's on a collision course with Earth. So, here come the super friends converging on the Hall of Justice as there are all kinds of weather issues now screwing up weather all over the planet, and now we have this one guy at all, not sounding at all like an alarmist, reporting that an asteroid is about to collide with the Earth. Super friends, the Earth is threatened with extinction. An unknown planet headed straight for Earth will crash into us in less than 24 hours. What's causing it? Our computers indicate a mysterious pull from somewhere on Earth. The planet must be stopped. Yes, and that's clearly a job for me. An easy one at that. Very uh, Panic in the Sky from uh, the George Reeves episode. In that episode, there was only Superman to take care of things, but yeah, there is not. But a big rock coming from space. Superman can fly in space. Obviously, this is a job for Superman. 
So we go to the asteroid, and Superman is flying to the asteroid, and Piero has, has a surprise on the asteroid. Although, although I'm calling it an asteroid, they're calling it a runaway planet. So apparently Superman realizes it's made of kryptonite, and for some reason can't turn back. But Wonder Woman will fly out the invisible plane, which I guess it has spacefaring abilities, when the plot needs it to. And she comes out of the jet, and she shows off her great roping skills. How she can cast a lasso in ZOG is anybody's guess, but, you know, she can rope Superman and uh, lure him and lure him back to uh, her ship. I'm not sure why she couldn't fly underneath Superman and pull him in that way, but I guess it gives an excuse for kids to see the magic lasso. And now this is when Piero realizes that he's been had, I think, as he's asking how Earth can be saved. And apparently he wants to be Klezor's uh, minister of science, but Klezor said he needs to get off the planet. I'm guessing at some point Piero thought he was going to be, he was going to have some control over the planet and not be an alien on somebody else's world. But nope, he's going to be an alien on somebody else's world because because Cleaser pretty much has him over a barrel. He's going to destroy the Earth. Uh, Piero's choices are two. He can be destroyed with Earth or live over on uh, Cleaser's planet. If I were making that decision, Cleaser's planet would definitely be the way to go. So the Justice League needs to stop the asteroid. And yes, uh, it is mentioned from time to time that they are not only called the Super Friends, but they also are the Justice League, as this is... And obviously the Super Friends are based on the old uh, Justice League of America from the Silver and Bronze Age. And the computer narrows it down to three people who could uh, who could be involved with this. If we only knew what was attracting that planet. I have a strong hunch it's man-made. If it is, we can seek it out and destroy it. But who on Earth's capable of such an evil threat? The Justice League computer should be able to answer that. Only three scientists possess such advanced technological skill. Professor Larvey and Dr. Rogers of Metropolis University and Professor Firo. According to this character analysis, the only one of the three who could commit such an evil act is Professor Firo. We'll split up. Batman, Robin, and I will see if Larvey and Rogers know anything more about Firo. Aquaman and I will search for whatever Firo is using to attract that planet. Well, what about us? Yeah, we're not called the Wonder Twins for nothing. You three stay here and monitor incoming information. And obviously, the Super Friends guess correctly that Piero is behind everything that's going on. So they're investigating Piero and trying to find out what is being used to draw the planet toward Earth. And as the planet gets closer, Superman is getting weaker. And the gravity from the runaway planet has started to act on Earth. You can see that even in, in the depths of the ocean, as Aquaman feels an earthquake while he's swimming. He's not tethered to the ground at any point, so I'm not sure how he can feel an earthquake, but I guess he can feel the uh, disruption in the water. I guess that's how Aquaman feels a quote-unquote earthquake. And uh, Batman has uh, apparently docked the Batcopter for the episode, and he has a plane, and they're using it to find Professor Piero. And it's very convenient that this lab has a hole in its roof. Whatever... And something must have attacked you. Whatever it was, the place is trashed. But there is a poisonous snake remaining, and it's attacking Wonder Woman. Again, uh, Wonder Woman controls her lasso telepathically, and that kind of, I guess, convinced the snake not to bother them or something, and put some kind of spell on the snake that allows them to uh, get through and do what they need to do. So Wonder Woman is being hoisted on a cable. I guess I am just starting to realize that she can't fly or leap in this show, like she can in some of the comics. Wonder Woman's ability to fly tends to fluctuate depending on what area you're reading in. So apparently Piro has overheard uh, the, radi- the radio transition. This has Klezor send an energy creature to help him. Because you never know when you need a big orange energy creature to help you with your supervillainous plot. So the Justice League computer finds Piro's moving island and they need to find the coordinates in order to uh, 
stop the runaway planet and save Superman, who appears to uh, now have some trouble holding himself up. Remember, the runaway planet is made of kryptonite, so he's getting weaker and weaker as this episode goes on. So, the Super Friends are not only trying to save the Earth, but they're in a race against time to save Superman as well. Although, if they don't save the Earth, saving Superman is kind of pointless. So now the computer's been destroyed by the energy creature, and it kind of just leaves the Super Friends locked in a closet. So, clearly the smarter of the Wonder Twins, Jaina realizes that the creature is after Dr. Piero's notes, and they put them in the strong box, and the creature makes off makes off with them. So Jaina becomes a spider, but that doesn't do anything. Zan becomes ice, and that doesn't do anything either, so that just goes to show you for this moment how useless the Wonder Twins are. Now the kryptonite radiation must be hit in the atmosphere, because Superman is out of strength, and he is down for the count. And it's tough seeing Superman in this situation. You always expect Superman to be the one standing tall when everybody else goes down, but while this show didn't necessarily rely on the trope of quote-unquote getting Superman out of the way like other incarnations of these characters did, but it is nice to see that in the in one episode where Superman is neutralized, that the other heroes will rise to the occasion. It's not being used to kind of give the other heroes an excuse to rise to the occasion, it's just saying that in the absence of their friend, they, w- they can and will rise to the occasion. So now the creature is trying to destroy the notes, and Wonder Woman successfully ropes them, and the energy creature fall into the water. And that quickly took care of the energy creature. I guess water and uh, whatever this energy is made of looks like flame, based on the orange color at least. They don't mix, and the energy creature is, for all intents and purposes, put out. So Piro is going to stop them himself, and he's going to use a voice to imitate Superman. I guess he had a voice modulator or something to change his voice. So now Zan and Jaina are wandering around looking for Superman and fall right into Professor Piero's trap. And he actually welcomes him, welcomes them to his trap, which I thought was very congenial of him. You know, you have a couple of uh, alien one, alien twins, uh, you know, kind of fall into your little hole. You definitely thank them for falling into it. So welcome to the trap, Z- Zan and Jaina. And as this is happening, Wonder Woman finds Piero and Batman and Robin discover Jaina and Zan are missing. I'm not sure why Batman and Robin need, would need to discover this, Zan and Jaina are always missing. So like I mentioned before, Superman is pretty useless in this episode. It's mostly Wonder Woman and Aquaman, but Aquaman can't do much either other than command the sea life. But it was cool seeing him have a swordfish cut his way into the lab. It's just cool to show how uh, sharp this cartoon makes you want to think uh, a swordfish's snout is. So with the super friend apparently on the cusp of winning, or whatever they're, they're about to be on the cusp of, Five energy creatures show up, and five, I guess five energy creatures are too tough for the super friends. While Jaina screws up the line out of the frying pan and into the fire, I think she says something to the extent of into the frying pan and out of the fire or something like that, which totally uh, botches the line, but there it is. So basically what Wonder Woman does is she cuts a hole in the floor, and she just kind of goes under the energy creatures. She uh, holds up, uh, she cuts a hole behind them, rescues, and rescues the twins, and apparently the glass cage doesn't cover the hole. So, as this, as the, with the energy creatures duped, I guess, for lack of a better term, Piero is on his way off-world, and as Earth is about to be destroyed when the Super Friends show up, and since Superman can't do anything, Wonder Woman ropes the rocket, and at least she acknowledges her limitations that she can't hold the rocket back forever. So, with the help of Batman and Robin, Piero is pulled out of the rocket, but he refuses to help, and a weakening Superman is having trouble getting the X-ray vision to work. But he does find the power source before falling over. And during this whole sequence, Wonder Woman is screaming, so I guess the show is telling us that the end of the world is loud. You know, it's not that she's screaming like someone would scream if a monster was coming at them, but she was just yelling very loud trying to get her point across. You know, it's like normal conversation just jacked up to 11. So, Wonder Woman sends a crystal into space, and the kryptonite planet is pulled to its destruction in interstellar space. So, With the planet gone, Superman shows off the fact that his power is back by doing some quick flexing. 
Wonder Woman reminds Piero that he has to help work with these people in peace. And Jaina adds that it would have been better for Piero to work for the good of humanity. Very nice uh, thoughts there. But personally, I'm with Bleak. I don't like green bananas either. I like them nice and yellow, but not quite right. I find green bananas are too difficult to peel. You know, it's an okay episode if you are a fan of Aquaman, Wonder Woman, Batman, and Robin. As a Superman fan, the episode didn't do a whole lot for me. You know, just Superman just kind of spent time lying down. It's good to see. It's good that he was able that he wanted to launch himself up in the, into space to take care of the problem, but he was unable to do so. That's it for that episode. Now I'm gonna go ahead to the Marsh Monster. Superman and the dynamic duo stop a Marsh Monster who is actually party host is Magna Duval from stealing an inventor's plan for a magnetic power engine. So we start off with. Uh, this inventor telling a story to a group of friends, telling them about his latest invention, his magnetic power wrench. Tell us, Jules, don't keep us in suspense any longer. These are the plans for a magnetic-powered engine. It runs on the magnetic forces coming from the Earth. And it needs no fuel. Incredible. Yes, and soon I will release my plans to the world so that everyone can benefit. Congratulations, Jules. A remarkable invention. Well, my esteemed guests, I'm afraid it's time to retire for the night. And be sure to lock your doors. There's a legend that an evil creature lives in the swamp. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of reminds me of the event, the quote-unquote, I guess it was the Inventors Club or whatever it was, or a bunch of disbelieving friends or whatever group uh, the main character in the time machine was, uh, whatever group they were a part of. That's basically the kind of analog this episode is going for here. An inventor is telling his uh, disbelieving friends about his invention. And the, the thunderstorm makes the whole thing kind of spooky. So I'm getting a little spooky vibe to this, uh, as you would expect of something with the term monster in it. Now, I'm not sure who uh, the dark-haired woman is, uh, who the synopsis reveals as Magna Duval, but she just sends everyone to bed and mentions Legend of a Swamp Creature, which is apparently true because the green monster is walking around the inventor's house and chasing him. And now at the Hall of Justice, the inventor needs help because he convinces everyone that the creature is after his plans for the magnetic power engine. And super friends, I need your help desperately. There's a strange creature after the plans of my new invention. I'm at a mansion in the West End Neverglade Swamp. We'll be there as soon as we can, Jules. Robin and I will follow in the Batcopter. Let's go. Apparently this mission's not important enough for Wonder Woman and Aquaman to participate as they are left behind. And the Batcopter can apparently keep up with Superman somehow. Which brings me to another point. For the most part, helicopters, and you know, for just about every part that I know of, helicopters are short-range vehicles. Why aren't they using the Batplane, which we've seen fly into space before? Shouldn't they be using that for a trip from Gotham City, wherever that is, to the south or or wherever uh, the story's taking place? So Superman checks out the sounds they're hearing from everywhere in the house, and apparently the sounds are coming from some kind of sound recorder. And we know the monster is there, as all Batman and Robin need to do is turn around and see it. Then a chandelier falls, and apparently the creature reveals itself to Batman and Robin, but not to Superman, and it's pretty quick, and as it can outrun the dynamic duo. But at the last minute, the creature brings two steel stores around them, and it fills the room with quicksand. Fortunately, the room was wood, as Batman and Robin have everything you need to escape a situation like that, namely the bat power saw and the bat jet boots. Where does Robin, in that outfit, keep the bat power saw? Something uh, that irrational minds listening to this show need to ask. I mean, these questions about bat power souls are not going to answer themselves. Well, either way, they escape, and Superman is after the top creature, while Batman and Robin find it by merely walking. 
So Batman and Robin swing after it while the creature walks without a care in the world until it gets on on its watercraft. Now, I guess Superman is going to get it done, so now it's time for the Super Friends teamwork, which means Batman and Robin are going to wait at the shore while Superman does all the work. And he does. He throws some six traps over the swamp monster, and I suppose that Superman is going to get it here, so now it's time for the Super Friends teamwork. And Superman does do all the work. He throws some six and tra- Batman just throws some six and traps at the swamp monster. Batman and Robin wrap up the swamp creature, and we have a very Scooby-Doo moment when Madame Magna is revealed to be the swamp creature. I'm surprised she didn't say she'd have gotten away with it, too, if not for those blasted heroes and their dumb Robin. But, you know, a standard uh, eight-minute short episode with uh, multiple heroes. You know, not too bad, not too good, either. Just in between. Now let's move on to The Runaways. The Wonder Twins save two runaway boys from explo- exploitation by a crook. Here's Aquaman teaching a safety lesson about using catching equipment. If it's there, use it. And there's Aquaman umpiring. Just what I always wanted to see. Aquaman umpiring a kid's baseball game. So, Runaways. This is a real problem, because Runaways are the types of kids that criminals prey on. And which is exactly what happened to these two guys. Not to, it didn't happen to the extent that it happened in today's world. I mean, a lot of like, kids, runaways that are kidnapped or sold into human trafficking. Just something abhorrent like that, but, you know, it doesn't happen in the comic books, so we're okay for now. Apparently, Zan and Jaina are building a float that an insect goes by in Gleek Ruins, and there goes all their hard work. It was basically a topiary of the Super Friends, and one uh, mistake, and Gleek goes careening into the uh, four uh, wheelbarrows and parts to the calendar, and it's like she lost a child. That's how upset that they are. You know, all their hard work went down the drain. So apparently the sister calls the Wonder Twins as the boys are headed to Central City, and she calls the Super Friends instead of her parents, apparently telling them at this hour of the night was not the option. Maybe they would have called the Wonder Twins too. But this is still, like I said, a very real problem. Runaways, especially young girls, are easy targets for those human traffickers I mentioned before. And these two boys find Sully, who is some kind of scam artist, because he overhears them looking for work, and all of a sudden he's got a job for them, and eventually they learn that he wants to help. He wants to help in knocking over a liquor store. And guess what? It gets the two boys arrested. Again, not exactly how they planned their uh, runaway vacation. And honestly, a lot of kids do believe running away is a vacation. I'm not sure how, you know, my family life was pretty good. I'm not sure how it gets so bad where you feel like that's your option. But for many kids, that is very sad. So my question is, if all these two kids are running away, why did they run to the roof to get away from Sully? And how come nobody runs down to the sh- where the street is? You would think they had a few more options at, at ground level than they do on the rooftops. So at this point, Jaina becomes a giraffe so they can slide down Jaina's neck like a fireman's pole. And then Zan becomes giant handcuffs and Leek uses his tail as a helicopter. So he's not nearly as useful as usual. So the kids are returned to their grateful parents and they learn they shouldn't run away. You know, basic message. Don't run away. Appreciate what you have while you have it. So now, time rescue. Superman, Hawkman, and Hawkgirl have to use the scientist's experimental time machine to go. 2,000 years into the future of Metropolis to rescue. So, another uh, Superman story. Well, this uh, last, uh, these last weeks of uh, the all-new Super Friends Hour. Very heavy with Superman. At first, we start off with Batman and Robin doing a magic trick. Robin can't pull our twirl blue paper napkin apart, but Batman can. Now, on to the rescue. Superman is uh, going to work with Hawkman and Hawkwoman, like I said. This is one of their, I believe this might even, no, I don't think it's their first appearance, but we have, we are going to see, uh, First appearance related to the Hawks in the next episode, in the next segment. But apparently it's a great day for science because Professor Comstock is going to send himself into the future to test his machine. Isn't the first rule of science never to test on yourself? Just wondering. This is a great day for science, Dr. Lau. 
my time machine is finally ready, and I will be its first test subject. But, Professor Comstock, shouldn't we test it first on an animal or an object? That is not necessary. My calculations are flawless. Prepare the electron stabilizer, Doctor. I am going into the future. So the animation missed the date on this episode by about two weeks. December 17th, 1977 is the day this episode takes place, although it airs on December 3rd, 1977. And uh, Professor Comstock is off to May 9th, 3977. And just from this animation, Future doesn't look so great. And how do they know where he actually is? So, but of course, something does go wrong, and the assistant can't retrieve Comstock from the future. He had a certain time he was to stay in the future, but he missed his ride back to the present. And now the Super Friends get the call. The beginning of the experiment was working fine, Super Friends, but something terrible must have happened to Professor Comstock when he arrived in the future. Superman and Hawkman and Hawkwoman are present? I don't know a ton about the Hawk people, aside from their connection to uh, the planet Thanagar in the DC Universe. A very militaristic world, almost fascist. Might even be completely fascist, I don't know. So they're going to go into the future to bring the Professor back. Apparently going to the future works, but they have to return to the same spot in an hour. So the future looks fantastic, and meanwhile these creatures are still hanging around. They look like little bug creatures. Now there are all kinds of creatures in the city. Apparently somehow Superman knows that the area they're in used to be Metropolis. How he could tell that just from what we're seeing, I don't know, but maybe there's an important landmark that hasn't changed in 2,000 years that Superman can identify that from it. So we're an alien space bar for only uh, now, only seven or so months removed uh, from Star Wars, which gave us the most icy cantina. And I wonder if this is inspired by the cantina. I can only imagine maybe this episode was animated after somebody saw Star Wars. I don't know. Now this is where we learn about the creatures holding Comstock. So Superman is going to throw up a dust storm with his super breath. Why he can't just fly in there, get the professor and leave is anybody's guess. But I guess the uh, Hawkman and Hawkwoman need something to do. And basically the Hawk people rescue the Professor, and fly off, which is basically what Superman should have done, because he can also get chased by stun rays as well. Now they've got a minute, and Hawkman and Superman drop sand onto slavers as the machine roars to life and takes them home. I will say, though, watch the animation closely while this sequence is happening, before the animation closes and sends them back to the present. Hawkman's wings, and I guess her hawk girl's wings by extension, they're actually flapping. I did have one uh, Hawkman action figure, which was connected to the... Uh, one of the latest seasons of Superman, where if you push his legs together, his wings were flat, which I thought was pretty cool. So, uh, the uh, Professor thanks the Super Friends and Hawkman makes uh, a bad time pun, and this gives Superman a chance to show off the Justice League wristwatch because, you know, time, and it needs to be told, and apparently Superman needs to wear a watch. There are a hundred million other ways he can tell time. Thanks again, Super Friends. It's good to be back in the century where I belong. Next time, Professor Comstock, I suggest you take a little time to consider the consequences of your experiments. Speaking of time, we'd better check the Justice League time machine. I didn't know we had a Justice League time machine. Sure we do. The Justice League wristwatch. And it's time we were going. (laughs) (laughs) Now for Aquaman being proud of a girl for easing the physical fitness exam, and it just shows all the various forms of exercise. And, you know, it just doubles down on the message that kids need to exercise to, uh, you know, grow up healthy. All right, so I'm going to take another break. I'm going to play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back and complete my coverage of the all-new Super Friends Hour with the ghost and the episode surrounding it. Hang around, folks. Afternoon, everybody. Ryan! How's that baby treating you, Mr. Daly? Like Thanos snapping his fingers at my bank account. In that case, how about a beer on the house? 
Sure. Got to give my mouth something to do between podcasts. Say, Ryan, I don't get how you have so much time for podcasting. Doesn't your wife want you spending time with the baby? Would you? Truth is, I think she's a little worried about how much time I'm spending with the kid, ever since his first words were Dagobah system. Now she wants me to go out and do something mature, something productive, and most of all, something lucrative that can support the family. So you're going to... Podcast about Cheers, yeah. That yeah, kid's not going to start college for 18 years. I got time. <laughs> Cheerscast, the podcast where everybody knows your name. Coming soon to the Fire and Water Network. All right, welcome back, folks. We're going to wrap up this uh, season of Super Friends with the main episode, The Ghost. And all the episodes I'm going to talk about in this segment had an original broadcast date of December 10th, 1977. And our synopsis for The Ghost is brought to you by SupermanHomePage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. The ghost of Gentleman Jim Craddock. The ghost of Gentleman Jim Craddock comes back to life for vengeance against Superman and Wonder Woman for sending him back to his grave years earlier. Gentleman Jim, you have returned once more. Yes, Scrooge, and thank you for finding a way to raise me again. Now, to devote my entire energies to revenge against the two who tricked me back into my grave last time, Superman and Wonder Woman. He goes to the Metropolis Convention Center and starts turning world officials into ghosts. Gentleman Jim warns Super Friends that if Superman and Wonder Woman don't meet him at his grave, he will turn all the officials into ghosts. The dynamic duo find Gentleman Jim's hideout but are trapped in a watery pit. The Wonder Twins rescue them, but time is growing short. Superman and Wonder Woman meet him and risk becoming ghosts to give the others time to find a way to stop the ghost. Superman and Wonder Woman, you are here to be judged for crimes against the spirit world. Members of the jury, I present the evidence to you. Ruth, these are meddlers who returned me to my grave. Members of the jury, how do you find the defendants? Not guilty or guilty? Guilty! 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 Wonder Woman, Superman, for your crimes, I sentence you to haunt this mansion for all eternity! <laughs> the others find ways to out with the ghost. Our research here in the Department of Parapsychology indicates there is only one possible way to stop Gentleman Jim. These gems, found in the tomb of an ancient pharaoh, will protect you. Whoever wears one can never be turned into a ghost. And our tests show that anyone forced to enter the ghost world need only see his image in this disc, and the spell will be removed. But how do we take care of Gentleman Jim? The rods of Merlin may do the trick. Touch a ghost from seven directions with these seven rods, and he'll be driven back to his grave, never to return. Superman and Wonder Woman are rescued and returned to normal. And with the help of the rods of Merlin, Gentleman Jim is surrounded in seven directions, forcing him back to the grave. As for the officials, the discs return them to normal, and all is well once more. It's all over now. We've restored all the world's leaders with this disc. Gentleman Jim's hatred for us, born of revenge, really led to his own destruction. I guess hate is one of the worst emotions you can feel, even for a ghost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> well, Gleek, you didn't quite turn into a ghost, but you sure did a great vanishing act. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so this episode features our first appearance of an actual DC Comics villain, Gentleman Jim Craddock, the Gentleman Ghost, who was an adversary of Hawkman, making his debut all the way back in Flash Comics 88, in which he went up against Hawkman and Hawkgirl. Just from the fact that he appeared in Flash Comics, you would think he would have gone up against uh, Jay Garrick's Flash, but no, Jay Garrick's Flash was merely the main feature in that book, and... The Hawks were a backup for quite a few years. and But it would have been cool if Hawkman and Hawkgirl were in this episode, but this isn't a backup, so we don't have any of the, uh, let's call them auxiliary super friends, available in this episode. But it was a good and enjoyable episode, very comic booky, and I really like that about it. So, we're starting at a cemetery, and with a hearse, and apparently according to what this guy is writing, Jim Craddock has lived twice, and you guessed it, he's going to live a third time. So, he brings Craddock back to life, and apparently, uh... We learned some backstory that the ghost was tricked into his grave by my Superman and Wonder Woman, so he's angry. And according to uh, the lifetimes that uh, this dude wrote down, interestingly enough, Jim Craddock's second life was in 1972, which, if this show is progressing in real time and there's no reason to believe it is or it isn't, it just is moving, that would have been before the Super Friends show began, before season one as season one took place in 1973. So we get a call saying that a prime minister was turned into a ghost. I thought you had to die for that to happen, but I guess there are ghostly forces at work here. So for some reason, Batman and Robin are the closest. Batman recognizes Gentleman Jim and tosses his cape over his head. It's kind of weird seeing Craddock not have a face, you know. You see a full body and just a, a hat with the face only comes out when Craddock needs to talk. Craddock also apparently doesn't have wrists, and Batman learned that you can't handcuff a ghost. So he's just going to use the Prime Minister to lure in Wonder Woman and Superman. So when uh, Batman tells him who the ghost was, Superman makes like uh, Warner Wolf, an old uh, TV anchor, and they go to the videotape. Gleek? I recognized him instantly, Superman. It was the ghost of Gentleman Jim Craddock. The computer files on Gentleman Jim might give us a clue. Yes. Superman and I returned him to his grave several years ago. We thought that was the end of him. And now he's back, more powerful than ever. Wonder Woman, Superman, we meet again. You must pay for burying me. Surrender at the sight of my grave in one hour, or this will be the fate of every world leader. <laughs> Turn them into ghosts? We can't allow that to happen. Right, Superman. And we've got just one hour to find Gentleman Jim and stop him. First, we'd better warn the other world leaders at the convention center. Prior to watching this episode, I didn't know that you could turn people into ghosts, but I guess you can. So the Super Friends tell the UN members to stay in the convention center, and Aquaman says he'll babysit them. You know, this show really has done zero favors for Aquaman. One of these days, I'm going to have to watch the uh, Filmation Aquaman stuff just to get a feeling of what the... Filmation Aquaman is like, whether that treats the character with any more respect than uh, this does. But honestly, Aquaman is pretty useless. I was waiting for people just to kind of tell Superman and uh, Wonder Woman to surrender, but that's more of a modern uh, thing. And you know what? They wouldn't be wrong to do so. I mean, a lot was made of Superman surrendering to mankind and Man of Steel, and 
this could have been a similar situation. Uh, maybe uh, if that Superman faced uh, this kind of situation, perhaps uh, he would have surrendered himself to mankind and let, and let them decide what to do with him. Obviously, they probably would have surrendered him to the, the gentleman ghost, just like he was surrendered to Zod, but... This episode was written in 1977, and it, just at this time, the general public did not surrender their superheroes, especially Superman. This was the time when anything Superman says goed. Superman had the ultimate respect from politicians, military leaders, and everybody, and so did Wonder Woman, also, for based on her own merits. And no, there's just no way people, there's just no way the human population in the Bronze Age would have surrendered superheroes to a ghost. Like I said, they wouldn't be wrong to call for Superman to and Wonder Woman to surrender just so they can save themselves. It would be a very human thing to, to do. So one thing I learned from my recent viewing of Season 4 of The Last Ship is that the uh, first rule of piloting a boat is don't crash the boat. Zan has clearly failed that class. But it does cause Jaina to become a bullfrog and him to become an ice flow. And Jane is just having a whole bunch of adventures here. She escapes a snake and then ends up in an alligator's mouth. She's Lucky she didn't get eaten. Basically, the way she escapes this is thanks to the efforts of Gleek, who makes a funny face and then gets the gate and open his mouth and Jaina jumps out. So, Batman and Robin find the house. No, they're not checking real estate trends. And while this is going on, I wonder what uh, Superman and Wonder Woman are doing. And the, well, what Batman and Robin are doing is they're investigating the house of Gentleman Jim. And I will say this, chasing a ghost is much more suited to... Uh, Batman than Superman. You know, I always thought Batman, you know, supernatural stories worked better for Batman than they really do for Superman. There's much more appeal to Batman fighting a vampire than there is for Superman. As Batman, you know, who could be pertained as a, can be considered a scary monster himself, seems more at ease in that world than Superman would be, and much more suited to it. So, but not here, because Batman and Robin just end up in a well, because, you know... Falling down a well is an old trope. And the twins get them out, and Craddock is on his way to the convention center, and so are Superman and Wonder Woman. And apparently Aquaman has some kind of plan, but the ghost walks right through and tries to turn a dummy into a ghost. And basically Aquaman's plan is to have everybody escape through the subterranean garage. And Aquaman's plan works. Not at all. As Craddock catches up with the world leaders trying to escape. So Superman tries to grab the ghost, but obviously he misses because... One does not simply grab a ghost. Actually, sim- simply or not, you just don't grab a ghost, period. So, Superman swings and misses at the ghost, and after all their attempts to apprehend the gentleman ghost fail, Superman and Wonder Woman decide to surrender in, a, in an effort to give the rest of the Super Friends time to come up with a plan to stop Gentleman Jim. And when they leave, Superman actually carries Wonder Woman. He's holding her in a position where she seems to be sitting on his arm. You know, much the way I hold my nearly one-year-old daughter. So, Gentleman Jim puts Wonder Woman and Superman on trial for crimes against the spirit world. I guess sending a ghost back to its grave is a crime. News to me. The ghosts find Superman and Wonder Woman guilty, and they are turned into ghosts. And this is very interesting, seeing that the ghostly figures just yelling, Guilty. Guilty, 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 guilty. It's, in a way, reminiscent of, you know, the ghostly faces during the courtroom scene and Superman the movie. However, and that thought was going through my head as I was watching this episode, but then I had to back up for a minute. This episode aired in December of 1977. Superman the movie was still a year away. There was, and this episode was probably written some months before that. There was no way for these writers to know anything about 
few specifics about what was going to happen in Richard Donner's Superman the movie because it was still more than a year away. So, the remaining super friends meet up with these two uh, parapsychologists. No, not those parapsychologists. It's too soon for them. They don't show up for another seven years either. But either way, these two guys, they give the super friends a gem to make them immune to becoming a ghost. And they also give them the seven uh, rods of Merlin, because apparently they just have these sitting in a drawer at, at their office. And this will lead Jim back to his grave and never to return. You know, but however, like all supervillains, he doesn't return until the next time. And honestly, going forward, I don't know if the gentleman ghost ever does return. Maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. We'll find out when we get there, I guess, or when we don't get there. So Batman and Robin are sent down a pit again. And apparently they're going all the way to the uh, to the center of the Earth. So, and Batman and Robin kind of claw their way out and restore Superman and Wonder Woman. But Jim is not impressed and he's going to go back to the convention center. I'm not sure what's left to do with the convention center. He's turned everybody into ghosts already, but maybe he's going to go after our two uh, prototype Ghostbusters. So Superman lands in front of Craddock with a rod, and everybody gets a rod. It's an Oprah show. You get a rod. He gets a rod. Everybody gets a, a rod of Merlin. And uh, we send uh, Gentleman Jim back where he belongs. Back to his grave. Back to his coffin. I guess now we can write down underneath 1972 to 1972. 1977 to 1977. And uh, for the ending... They talk about how Jim's hatred led to his downfall, which is bad news even for a ghost. I'm going to say I enjoyed that episode a great deal because, I mean, it challenges the Super Friends in a way that they haven't been challenged before. I mean, there have been some episodes where they've had to take a step back and had to regroup, but the Super Friends were pushed to a point where Superman and Wonder Woman actually had to surrender to buy time. And I really like that. I like seeing them pushed because the harder they're pushed the more rewarding the victory so that was a good episode i'm not sure if that was intended to end the season but it's a great way to do so and uh, by the way the uh, decoder solution was evil all right now we're gonna move on to the protector this features uh, batman robin and aquaman who have to stop the shark a seagoing pirate from stealing enough goods to create an army and become the ocean's sole protector Captain Shark has immobilized a pleasure cruise, presumably to rob the passengers and the ship. He wants to stop oil drilling, ocean exploration, and basically to become the ocean's uh, greatest protector. I guess he didn't realize that that job had already been filled. Aquaman knows this is Shark because I guess he's the only one committing crimes on the oceans these days. There are possibly no other pirates anywhere on Earth's seven oceans. This guy is the only pirate that's out there, and he's the best pirate that's ever pirated. This is why Aquaman knows it can only be the Shark. So this job is only important enough for Batman and Robin and Aquaman. I presume Superman has to clip his toenails or something, and Wonder Woman has to practice her roping skills. So the Batboat has piloted into foggy waters, and apparently they missed the uh, SS Shark floating right in front of them. So Batman is meanwhile thinking with all of the gray matter squished underneath his cowl, that playing possum while Aquaman goes after the ship that they can't see. Basically, Batman and Robin fake the immobilization of their own craft and capture two henchmen. And honestly, when they stole the boats, I was waiting for Batman and Robin to put masks on over their own masks, kind of how uh, in the Silver Age Batman would put a mask over his cow, but they didn't. And now they're, you know, they're onto the shark ship, and there needs to be a fight here. And they're just dodging and parrying, apparently getting hit by an immobilizer, right? It's okay. It's okay to freeze people, but it's not okay to punch them. There needs to be battles. I need my superhero battles. Superheroes need to fight the villains. Come on, parents, groups of the seven. Show us some good superhero action. Let us have it. As I yell into the past. 
So Aquaman goes into the water after the shark, and since he's not actually allowed to do anything on this show, he sends a couple of real sharks after the shark. Then they just ate his boat. They didn't actually eat the Captain Shark. So, so Aquaman has decided that if we can't all appreciate the ocean, there's no point in protecting it. And Robin, meanwhile, is just glad he caught the shark before his fishing license expired. You know, Robin is all about those real-world issues that are really uh, on everybody's lips these days. So, our uh, next episode is the Wonder Twins morality play, Stowaways. And uh, two young girls make a mistake of stowing away on a yacht bound for Catalina Island because they get caught up in a storm. The twins rescue them, and the girls learn that stowing away is more dangerous than it seems. But before that, we get our safety tip. Use your seatbelt. Common sense right there, but, you know, I guess it is nowadays, but maybe not so much in 1977. I remember when I was a kid, my parents had this, uh, 77, I was growing up in the 80s, obviously, so it was 77 or 76, uh, Buick Regal. I mean, we had this car up until the early 90s, the floor was practically falling out of it, and you could see the ground underneath, the street underneath, but I know it had seatbelts in the front, but I don't believe it had seatbelts in the back. So, you, and seatbelt laws are quite different than they weren't actually completely required as they are now. It's good that they're required, and a good safety tip is always to use your seatbelts, even if you don't think you need it. Some of, a lot of the worst accidents happen minutes from your destination, or your point of origin, so that's something we need to remember. So, these two dumbass teenagers are planning to stow away on a ship to get to an island because it's exciting there or something. One of them is somewhat sensible and expresses doubt, but that doesn't last very long. And I know I'm flipping with these teenagers, but you know what? These teenagers, over the course of all these morality plays, just do dumb stuff. You know, common sense would tell you not to do all these things. You don't necessarily need Zan and Jaina to tell you not to, tell you that it's dangerous. Do you really need Zan and Jaina to tell you that it's dangerous to stow away on someone else's ship? No, you shouldn't. So, they hitch a ride on a yacht, you know, a random yacht they pick, and guess what? They're going to get caught in the storm. And this yacht captain pilots right into the storm, going wherever the hell he's going. Of course, as soon as they come out of the hatch, the captain is clobbered by a swinging mast and knocked out cold. Which means, of course, that the girls have to figure out how to pilot this thing. Fortunately, another boat sees them and radios for help. And I guess he's going to call the Wonder Twins. And who calls the Wonder Twins in this situation? First and foremost, you should be calling the Coast Guard. But if you're going to call somebody... Other than the Coast Guard, if you're going to call superheroes, for God's sake, call Superman. He's going to get that situation resolved much more quickly and with far less idiocy. So, either way, though, Trish, one of the girls, got the sail going, and there she goes overboard. Am I wrong to suggest she deserves to drown with stowing away on a ship that went into a storm? So, Jaina becomes a flying fish and saves Trish, and then Zan becomes a typhoon and blows the ship home. So, the two girls learn it wasn't smart to stow away, and I'm shocked by the lesson of this episode. And the captain said all they had to do was ask. He would have enjoyed the company. Yeah, I'm sure this uh, middle-aged man and his uh, graying beard would have enjoyed the company of two teen girls. Which is all I'm going to say on a podcast that I like to uh, keep uh, family-friendly. So let's move on to our final uh, episode of, of this week. Rampage. And no, it is not the movie with The Rock that is coming out on Blu-ray soon. I believe it was already in theaters. Superman and Green Lantern stop a white elephant from trampling a village in India. The elephant is upset only because she cannot rescue her baby trapped in a canyon. But the heroes rescue the baby. Okay, basically this episode is Big White Elephant Goes Berserk. And for our, and our Wonder Woman is going to teach a couple kids a craft, which I didn't really bother to take very many notes on, because I don't care. But I'm sure it was something very 70s. So this episode is Superman and Green Lantern. Green Lantern is another of my favorite properties that I've mentioned before. If I, if I had to rank my favorite three DC Comics properties and comics in general, 
I'd probably put the uh, Green Lantern stuff at number three. And I refer to Green Lantern as more of a property than a character because the Green Lantern and the Green Lantern Corps by extension is more than just a character. It's not just Hal Jordan who we're seeing here. It's Guy Gardner. It's Jon Stewart. It's Kyle Rayner. I mean, none of these characters are seen in this show, but the Green Lantern stuff is far more, far beyond just Hal Jordan. And even, I think, be, at this point, Guy Gardner, maybe, I don't know about Jon Stewart, but I know at least Guy Gardner may have existed. And honestly, at the hour that it is far later than I normally record, I'm not going to look it up. So, there's an elephant on a rampage. This is when the call comes in about the rampage. Superman asks if the white elephant that worshipped in that part of India, and uh, maybe the elephant is tired of getting worshipped or something. I don't know. So, okay, now, about Green Lantern. He can fly with his power ring. Why does he need to construct a jet? Maybe because jets are cool and toys need to be sold. Although, I don't think there were very many toys for this show at this time. I believe that the, most of the Kenner toys that came out were based on the uh, legendary Superpower show season. So, at 10,000 pounds, Superman... Says he'll have no trouble picking up the elephant and putting her back in the jungle. Superman, first and foremost, no one likes a bragger. Just saying. So, um, the, the elephant, though, she throws a wagon at Superman, and that's enough to deter him. Then she kicks over some gas barrels and causes a fire. This is definitely an elephant that doesn't want to be caught. Now, as per usual, in a kid's cartoon, they're going to tell you what they're going to do before they do it. And Green Lantern is still not flying. Now he's creating some kind of buggy to drive through the jungle. <sighs> okay. I mean, I can understand that they had toys to sell, but I don't think they do at this time. So, now the elephant is going into a mist-covered valley, and what we learn is that there is a baby elephant in a hole, so she was wrecking the tower, I guess, to get someone's attention. So, Green Lantern creates a hand with his ring and pulls the elephant away, the way basically I would pick up my cat before it runs somewhere it's not supposed to. And, of course, the little outcropping the baby elephant was standing on gives way as Superman flies down, but he catches the baby with inches to spare and returns it to its mother. And for the ending... I hope that baby elephant can keep itself out of trouble from now on. I don't think Mama's going to allow any more trouble. Look. <laughs> Looks like she's not going to allow us to get away without saying a thank you. Of course not. That's because elephants never forget. <laughs> <laughs> the elephant is clearly grateful that it holds the baby by the tail. However, some suggest that this is what elephants do in captivity, which would make sense. <clears throat> I doubt the uh, Super Friends writers have observed elephants in the wild. The only exposure they'd have had to elephants was probably in the zoo or at the circus of, of the time. So they probably really don't have any idea how elephants behave in the wild. We ran into the same kind of issue back during the uh, my coverage of... Uh, the Stolen Elephant of the George Reeves show. Although that was an elephant in captivity, so maybe the writers had a little more knowledge to go on. <clears throat> so Green Lantern makes a comment about how elephants never forget, and from what I can tell, scientists do believe they have great recall, which helps them determine friend or foe and keep the herd together. So we end our hour with Superman giving advice on not taking any medicine without talking to your parents. I think she was referring to allergy medicine, but it's good advice nonetheless. So next time, coverage of Season 3, Challenge of the Super Friends will begin. And I'll talk more about that next week. Until then, if you want to send feedback to the show, it's always welcome. Manofscreen at gmail.com. And actually, feedback is not only always welcome, but it's highly encouraged as well. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, just put Man of Screen Podcast in the search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. So, until next time, folks. Have a good one. Take care. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo and 
and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy, and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the Two True Freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show a review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.